Good to see everybody today. Still kind of living off of last week's message. Maybe some of you were. So I don't know who was here last week, but we ended last week with I'll Fly Away. Did anybody hum that throughout the week just a few times? Did I hook you with it? Because I meant to. Found myself humming that on Wednesday or something. So we carry on today with our series on Ready. And Ready is about Let's ready ourselves if and when crisis comes. So sometimes crisis comes through no fault of our own. We just find ourselves in it. We didn't do anything. We're just in it. And sometimes we are the sole cause of the crisis. Can anybody relate to that part? (laughs) I'm in a mess and I did it. Either way, here's where the ready part comes in. The ready part comes in by saying, all right, what does God have to say about the situation? So last week, Ready when sickness comes to stay. All right, I'm in it, and it's not fun. Give me something from God to hang on to so I don't have to focus on this situation. Is there any encouragement? Is there direction? Is there there hope? And we found that. He speaks to the situation when you're in it. And to have those words as your possession puts you in a, a more suitable state. That's the definition of ready, a suitable state. And that's what we're trying to help you with. So whatever the situation is, if God has something to say about it, you can grab onto it. Maybe it's a way to sustain yourself. Maybe it's a way out. Maybe, and this is really kind of what today is, maybe it's a way to avoid it altogether so we, can, we don't have to be in the mess. So today is ready when sex destroys. So just a few things up front on this. I'm not going to say anything about sex today that God hasn't said in his word, but you need to know that God has said a lot about it. So if your kids are in here today and you don't want them to hear from me what God has said about sex, you want them to hear it from you, today would be a good day just to pack it up and go. Not, not, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we're just going to talk a lot about it. And it's in the Bible, but it could be uncomfortable for you or them or whatever, so just saying so, all right? And then secondly, really, I didn't say this on the upfront, the first service, but based upon the faces that I saw in first service, I need to say this today, that there's no way, and if I start to talk about God, his word, and sex in our lives, there's no way I can cover every scenario in depth from here. It's more broad strokes from here. So as I start to get into this, and let's just say that sexual sin or someone's sexual sin against you, whatever the case may be, you're stuck. And what I say today, it may miss that. Or you may feel forgotten. Or you may feel something less than encouraged. Let me just say this ask afterward. There's no way that I can go in depth on every situation from here in the time we have. So, but there isn't a single situation that we can't go deeper on with God's word one-on-one. So, ask. When we're done, ask. And we can help walk you through that as best we can using what God has said about it. Just may not hit it all from here. 
We good? All right. Probably some nervous laughter today, right? <laughs> just the way, just the way it's going to be. But here we go. So my question was, what does God have to say about sex? Not what does God have to say about sexual sin? Just sex in general. What I found was he has a lot more to say about it in terms of what it can be, what it should be, what he meant it to be in a positive light than he does more in a negative light. So if you're going to grab on to the words of God today in terms of readiness, here's what it's going to ready you for. It's going to ready you so sex doesn't destroy. It's, a, it's preventive today. It's a prescription to follow that would prevent the mess. Now, we'll talk about the mess a little bit, but mostly it's ready so it doesn't. All right? This is what I found. Just had that slate, and it's a good study. Just ask yourself that and start to look into it. So this is what I found. The first thing in terms of God and sex in us is that God is for it. God is pro-sex. Sex was God's idea. He thought of it, and he gives it as a gift to be enjoyed. The first time sex is discussed or mentioned in God's word, it's the 28th verse of the first chapter of the very first book. So here's kind of the order of things. It's in the beginning, God, and then it goes light, dark, sea, sky, land, plants, birds, fish, animals, humans, sex. So it's not the top 10, it's 11. It's important. It makes the list early on. Sixth day, number 11, but it's a big deal. And God says, have it. You should have it. Genesis 1.28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What you find in that initial narrative is God forms something, then he fills it. He forms something, and he fills it. He forms something, and he fills it. And so we get to participate in the filling. And he says that is a very good thing. Now, when he says it, he, he's, it's... It's not in general to men and women everywhere. Be fruitful and multiply. It's a specific command in that it's, giving, it's given to two specific people that he pronounces something. He describes these two people that he's talking to in this way. It's a man and his wife. And he pronounces that upon them right after creation. So this is Genesis 2, 18 through 25. God looked at it and said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a suitable helper. Do you know what comes next in the narrative? After God says he's going to make a suitable helper, what does he do next? He creates all the animals. At the end of that description, it says, and no suitable helper was found. As if maybe that was ever going to be an option. At the end of it, it says, and no suitable helper was found. And so he caused a deep sleep to come over the man. He reached in and took out a rib. And out of this rib, he formed woman. He woke the man up. And the man said, thank you. Now we're talking. This is more like it. 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, that's what Adam says. And then it stops right there. And then it, but the verse keeps going. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. But that's not Adam. That's God. It's not Adam's idea. It's God. Adam says, thank you. And then God comes in and says, therefore, you will leave father and mother. You will leave and cleave and come together. And that's when he calls them man and wife or husband and woman. I suppose you could say that that's the ceremony. I mean, it's just the three of them. It's God and those two. But that's when he describes how they will be related. So when he's speaking to it, be fruitful and multiply, he's talking about those two, a man and his wife, a woman and her husband. Now, what I want to do next is I want to show you from what God has said, I want, you, I want to show you how tight that relationship is. There are certain things that mark that relationship, a man and his wife, a woman and her husband. The first one would be, according to our text, male and female. So we'll get into more of that next week, but they are male and female. And then two, they will hold fast. They will leave and cleave to one another. So if you look in your study Bible, it'll say, hold fast means covenantal faithfulness, which is true, but it's a little bit confusing. I would just say it like this. This is what will mark this relationship, a man and his wife, a woman and her husband. It will be that they have exclusive faithfulness. They have exclusive loyalty. They are faithful to one another to the exclusion of anyone else. Name any other person, any other relationship. They are faithful here first. They are loyal here first than any other relationship that you can name, any other human relationship that exists on the planet. They have a unity between them that supersedes any unity anywhere. It is the closest, according to God, the closest of any and all human relationships, a man and his wife, a woman and her husband. It's so close, it's so tight, and we'll kind of keep going with it, Jesus actually quotes this verse in Matthew 19. It's so close that the two of them actually lose part of their individual identity. God starts to see them not as two anymore, as one. Matthew 19, Jesus is being questioned about divorce. And the way he answers it, we won't get into his answers necessarily. That's not our purpose today. But he's being questioned about it. And the way he answers it, he just simply describes marriage. And listen to how he describes it. He quotes this verse, Genesis 1:28. Have you not heard that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We read that part. So, this is what he says though. So that, because their question is like, okay, how do we get this thing apart? And what he's saying, it's gonna be very, very, very difficult because they're not two anymore. There's not an easy line to get them apart so that the two, now they're, they're one in God's eyes. And it's not just what they did, God did it. So that they are no longer two, but one, one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So marriage is not just a guy and a girl saying, hey, you into me? 
Yes. You into me? Yes. Forever? Yes. Deal. It's more than that. It's more than that. Who else is involved in this? God is involved. And it says what God has put together. So if God puts it together, then the way he sees it is it's not individuals anymore. The two become one. So that just means like my wife is Brandy. To God in my marriage relationship, I am as much Brandy's husband as I am Chad. She is as much Chad's wife as she is Brandy. God sees it. We're just together. It is like a mingling of the souls. It is, we are it just doesn't get any more together. Do you see it? Are you willing? Let's just say it's, let's just say you're here right now. Things are going pretty good. Would you be willing? Are you so, is he the one in such a way that you would be willing to lose just parts of who you are. Putting aside yourself, and I want to be so associated with him, I don't care if I put the, is she the one where you're like, well, gladly set aside parts of who I am in my devotion to her? Because that's what it is. It's tight. There are other things that mark it. We could do a whole series on what marks this relationship. I'll just mention love. God talks a lot about that specifically in New Testament books. But what he says about this relationship is the two that are coming together to be one, they're going to pick up love that they received from me. And when they understand that love that they receive from me, and the love they receive from me is all in without condition. How does God come to us? Does God come to us because we deserved it? No, we didn't earn it. So he came after us, and it was self-sacrificing. He laid aside, what does it say about Christ when he came? And he laid aside all the glory that was his in heaven and came to us for our benefit. So it's an all-in, self-sacrificing, not dependent on you, but dependent on me, I'm in. You get that. How do we get that? We understand that from Christ and what God has done for us. He sent his son to die. So you get that. And when you realize that God has loved you in that way, it changes you. You take that love and you carry it in there because if the way you're going to love one another is just how you feel that day, guess what? There are going to be days you don't feel like it. And when your feel love is at zero, you have nothing else to give unless you've received it from somewhere else because you cannot impart what you do not possess. It can't operate on how you feel about it. You have to have something, because you're going to feel nothing. And when you do, you're going to have to have something to give. And what you have to give is, oh yeah, he's all into me. He was all in for me. And it didn't depend on what I did. And thank goodness it didn't depend on what I did. And so me to her, it can't depend on what she does. It just has to be in me to give. And it is in you to give because he gave it to you. Right there. That's where he says, here's sex. 
be fruitful and multiply. Right there, that's where he says, and the two shall become one flesh. Right there, he says, that, here's a gift. Enjoy it. I put some of these in your bulletin. You can kind of look through. It's hard to read up here, but I just tried to go through there and say, all right, what is he saying about it? Where does God bless it? Here's my question. Where doesn't it destroy? I think we all know it does. Where doesn't it? Male, female, hold fast forever, husband, wife, God has put it together, love like God loved us. I just called it the go zone because we got to lighten it up a little bit today. It's a little bit strange. And what you're going to do is at the end of it, you start to go through there and go, okay, I got that and I got that and I got that and I got that. Baby, we're in the go zone and that's good. A lot of you are going to find yourselves today you're not. And then, so you can't. But he has more to say about the yes than he does the no. And it's good. Do you see how tight that relationship is where he finally says, I will bless sex and nowhere else? So you have to ask yourself, if the one you're with, ask him, if, do they agree with that? The one you're with, if you're thinking, do you agree it should be those things? Do you agree with the God who gave us sex? Do you agree that this is when it's a yes? And if they're like, no, I got my own thoughts on it. They're not the one. So it's right there. So he says right there, be fruitful and multiply. But that's not all he says there. He says, be fruitful and multiply, but he also says, it's okay to enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy it. I mean, he doesn't stop with Genesis 1.28 in terms of what he has to say about sex. Oh, you want to have children? Great, you're going to have sex. But other than that, I'll just use a term I've used in the past, no soup for you. Some people in the New Testament stopped right there in terms of the way they thought about sex with Genesis 1.28. So the only time they were giving themselves one to another is if it involved, okay, so you want to grow our family. And that was outside of what God said, so he had to correct it. He wanted it corrected because it's, it's more than that. So... He corrected it in this one particular church, it's the Corinthians, but he did it through a guy named Paul who wrote like this. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He means that by saying, okay, if God has gifted you in such a way to be a celibate minister of the gospel, so if you can be a man who is unencumbered by sexual desire for a woman, you can be fully devoted to God and his purposes of the church and the gospel all of your days, that's better. And God has gifted some people to do that. But if not, get married. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So there's a few fun verses to memorize. If you're going to memorize a verse... 
Wives, if you're sitting next to your husbands today, you can just look over and think, think to yourself for a moment, that is all mine. Or you don't have to. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So don't, here's what he's saying, don't withhold yourselves. To withhold yourselves, it's not good for the marriage. It's okay to enjoy it. Now, he doesn't get into specifics on how to enjoy it here, but he does in other places. Because like I said in, when we were starting, he has a lot to say about it. And he has a lot to say about it in a positive light. So he goes into a greater explanation on how to enjoy it in a book called Song of Solomon. I encourage you to read it. Read the book because it's a story that builds. And the story begins with a man and a woman and they meet each other, but then you can just kind of see the progression of their relationship up to their wedding day and then things take a turn for there. But I want, you, I want you to see it grow. In the beginning of this book, which God writes to help us enjoy the gift of sex, there's a man and a woman and they meet each other. They meet when the man is inspecting his vineyards. So I don't know how long they met, but this is how it starts. The woman says, yeah, I like that guy. And I would love to be kissed with kisses from his mouth. But then she says, but, but don't look at me because I'm not at my best today. Which to me is like so real. I really like you, but I just don't look good. Don't look at me. Says, my brothers made me work in this vineyard, but I have had no time to take care of, of my own vineyard. The son, she was, she just didn't think she looked her best. Don't look at me, I'm a little sunburnt today, I didn't do my hair, but man, I like you. And he says, oh, most beautiful of women. I think you're the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. And if you will follow the footprints of my flocks in the sand tonight, you'll find me because where my flock is, there I will be also. I think you're beautiful. Why don't you come over and see me? And she says, uh, I'm just a lily in the valley. There's nothing special about me. I'm just like everybody else. I don't stand out. And he said, no. You're not just a lily in the valley. You're like a rose among brambles. Everybody else I see compared to you, to me, they're thorns. But you are a rose of Sharon. Don't know what that means, but it sounds good to me. And she said, well, thanks. You're an apple tree. <laughs> And I would like to sit in your shade and taste your fruit. And he said, well, go back to the flock thing. Just follow my flock and then you'll, <laughs> and then, I'll, <laughs> then I'll be there. And then we can do that tree thing. <laughs> Is that language ripe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then she has a dream. 
that she loses him. And she panics. Where's he at? I can't find him, this and that. At the end of the dream, she finds him. The next day she wakes up, it's her wedding day. This is how it, this is how her wedding day unfolds. It says, What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke? It's him and all his mighty men, and he is coming to marry me. Behold, it is Solomon, and around him are his mighty men, 60 mighty men, all experts at war, and they have their swords held high. So the wedding party, the groomsmen are coming. There are 60. They are all experts at war. There's so many of them riding in and Solomon's leading the charge that there's a cloud coming up behind them and she's over the rise and she can see and here he comes and that's kind of cool. I mean, who doesn't want to be swept away by that? And he gets there and he sees her and he just describes her and he starts at her head and he goes all the way and he, he looks at her hair and he just he describes it with something that he likes. So your hair is like this, and I really like those. And your eyes are like this, and I really like those. And your neck, and all the way down. And he doesn't, he doesn't leave anything out. She does the same to him. You, your hair is like as dark as a raven. And your eyes are like doves, and your cheeks are like, I forget what they were, like, pockets of spices, but she says it better than that because it's nicer. <laughs> and your arms are like rods of gold and, you're, and all the way down, she doesn't leave anything out. Kind of like she said to you guys, like your arms are like rods of gold. This is how he said, this is how, I, this is my favorite part. He says to her, you are to me, as I look at you, this is right before they get married, you are a locked garden. But this is what I see from this side of the fence. Pomegranates, henna, nard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon, frankincense, myrrh, and aloe. And I want all of it. Then he says this, this is 416. Wake up, O north wind. Blow, O south wind. Blow on that garden gate and let the spices flow. Do you know what the next phrase in the text is? Here's the subheading, together in the garden. And if you read it, they're both really happy to be there. The garden is a great place. It's not locked anymore. Do you know those passages in the Bible where it says, and he went into his tent and lay with his wife and she begat him a son? You know, there's like, must be a hundred places. That's not this. There's a lot more going on than that here. There isn't a place they would rather be than in the garden. It's not locked anymore. 
when it's full of all kinds of fruit. It's not just pomegranates. Enjoy it. Enjoy. It was meant to be enjoyed. Enjoy it. If you're stuck there, here's what I think is true. I think inside that box, kind of done, you tried to do everything right, but the difficulty and the awkwardness and sort of the lack of communication about sex, I'm not going to say it can cause as much trouble as what happens outside the box, but inside of there, if you don't understand it, you don't talk about it, it's not open, it can cause a, or it can actually cause things to divide, and it was only meant to pull you together. Ask. Read a good book. Read a good book on sex. There are all kinds of people who love Jesus, know the scriptures, studied it, know men and women, know what it is that God has said about sex. They also know our insecurities, our hang-ups, our questions, our selfful, our selfish, sinful nature, and they're able to put the two together with the way they write that it's helpful. It answers questions. Answers questions like, is this okay? Is that okay? Can we do this? Can we do that? And it's insightful and good and helpful. And I say, just read a good book on the sexual side of marriage from a biblical perspective. I mean, why not? What are you doing now? It's just pomegranates. It doesn't have to be. Cinnamon and saffron too. Whatever that is. I'm not going to recommend a book because the minute I do, you'll read something and you're like, that was offensive to me. And I'm not saying that. But pick one. Go to a safe... What does Dr. Dobson recommend? I'm sure focus on the family. That seems safe in my mind. They probably recommend one. Read that one. But look at the alternative. What if the two of you together are like, all right, I know this is weird, but let's do this. Let's pick one and let's read it and let's talk about it. Ladies, he might actually read a book. Why not? Because it was made as a gift to be enjoyed. So don't miss out on that. So I, I put it there, just kind of tried to pull it all together, and I'm saying that that, here's what I can say. Inside of that, inside of that, and there's a lot in there, that's when it won't destroy. That's when it can be life-giving and fruitful and good and everything that God meant it to be can be that there. So look at that. If it's not that for you, lock the garden. If it's not that, get out of the garden. Because outside of that then, the potential for Sex wrecking things goes way, way, way up. And here's what you'll find. Now, if we shift it and start to say, okay, what does God say about sex outside of that? Because there's all kinds of sex and sex that we could describe that doesn't fit that. Every single one of them that we describe, it's all going to be the beginnings of potentially something very hurtful. And here's what you're going to find. This is how you know God. You, you know God in terms of sex, by what he says. I'll bet you, I'm going to read some of these verses on the outside. 
And that's going to be more familiar to you in terms of God and sex than everything I just said inside. Because when we think about it, it's like God is against it and he's angry and he wants this. And oh man, he really lays it on the sexually immoral. Everything outside of that box, God calls sexual immorality. And the language that he attaches to sexual immorality is some of the heaviest in all of the Bible. It's defeating. We'll read it and, and you'll feel it and it's crushing. It's supposed to be. Do you know why? Why does God lay it on so heavy outside of that? Because sex, by it's so, it can be so potentially harmful. And you begin to engage in it outside of what he said he will bless. And every single scenario you can connect to it, it all starts to go downhill very quickly. And they're hurtful, hard things, fearful and scary and bad and damaging. And he wants to save you from all that. I'm here to tell you that the heavy language that he applies to sex outside of that relationship that he just described is heavy because he wants to save you from the consequence. It's heavy because he loves you. So this is some of the language. He says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? This is your cistern right here. This is yours. This is it. That's your water. That's what you need to drink. Stop drinking from other places. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. So I just want you to see right there. When it comes to sexual sin, God sets it apart as different from all other sins. There's something different about it. I can't begin to tell you why it's different or maybe it's more serious or I don't know the underpinnings of all that and I, I don't, I'm not necessarily going to get into it. I just want you to see it right on the page. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I think it has something to do with this. The rest of that verse goes, do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit so God comes to reside with us and when you go engage in that, you are actually uniting God with this mess that you're participating in and he wants, that is absolutely counter to his culture and his being and his nature and you're dragging him into it. I don't know if that's why. All I know is God raises the bar on sexual sin. So when it comes to sexual sin, don't say, well, everybody sins. It's, you know, all sins are the same. No, they're not. They're not. And I just say that because of that. All other sins a person commits. So it's trumped up. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexual. So here he, what language is he attaching to it out here? I will judge you. This is the tough one. Or do you not know that the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men will inherit the kingdom of heaven? So what has he said is attached to sex outside of what he has described? I mean, he's talking about judgment. He's talking about outside the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about there is not heavier language in all of the Bible. It doesn't get any heavier than that when it comes to sin than right here. Why? Because he wants to save you from the pain. Not because he's, I will be obeyed, and you disobeyed, and so wham. It's not that. That's how we see it. It is, I love you. This is dangerous. Do what I say. And I'm going to hang some heavy language over it 
to turn you away. I want to turn you away from that because you begin out there and everything potentially goes very, very, very bad. And I love you and I don't want to see you go through it. Do you see how God's language is preventative? I want you ready so it doesn't destroy. Let's skip 18. Here, here's some strong language in 1 Corinthians again. This is 5.5. 5. Here's the scenario on 5.5. 5. A guy has sex with his mother. Paul says, or God says through Paul, kick him out of the church. Put him out. Don't associate with him. Turn him over to Satan. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now, hang on a second. It's not like, you messed up, we're done with you forever. It's no I want to hang some heavy penalty on it because I want you to see where you messed up and I want your flesh or that part of you that still loves that lustful desire, that old self, I want it to be, I want it dead so that we can, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. If you mess up like that, is God just chucking you out altogether? Well, he is for a little bit. He wants you to see it, feel it, go through it, experience the pain, but he does, he wants you to feel it out there so that you can come back. He wants you back. But man, that's heavy. But it's heavy because he loves you and he loves me. So, a few scenarios. Here's why. Here's why it's like that. So let's just take, let's just say outside the box, a guy and a girl meet outside a vineyard. And she said, man, I would like to be kissed by him. And he says, follow the tracks of my flocks. And she does. And they skip over the lily and the apple tree and they go right to the garden and they swing it open and they enjoy the fruit right then. And she gets pregnant. Let me take that scenario and move it inside the box for a minute. For those of you that know this, do you remember when you found out that your wife was pregnant or that you were pregnant? Do you remember that? Man, that's a good day. I, remember, I can take you exactly to the spot like you are. There's something about it just pulls you together. From a man's perspective, there's something about it that makes you feel a little bit manly. You are? That's right, you are. <laughs> it's, it is wonderful. And then from then, you just start to think about it. And you get a, I'm telling it just pulls you together. You're like, going to be this and this and you start to dream and you talk and it's a whole new con I mean everything is like it's new and it is so good I don't know that there's a gift that's better and you start to think about how you're going to tell and all that kind of stuff do you see what God intended for it okay take that outside then it's lacking that and it's not happiness and joy and togetherness is like oh no and it's 
what if and it's fear and it's panic and it's pain and it's sorrow. And some of you know that full well. But then everything from them start everything from there starts to get really difficult. So like, is this guy my apple tree or not? Do I really? Is this the rose of Sharon for me? I mean, you start to question all that stuff and maybe not. And what about my plans? And so maybe that like, I'm not set inside my plans and I'm not set inside my plans. And so maybe it's given for adoption or maybe the route then goes, well, should we have an abortion? And then I'm just saying, every scenario from then starts to go and it's all, it's hurtful and it's painful and it's difficult and it's fearful and it's full of panic. And God never, ever, ever wanted that. What he wanted to save that, he wanted to save you from all that because he's good. And you can pick any scenario out there and it starts to, and you, you start to go through it, and it, it all goes to the negative. Pornography. The, the statistics are unbelievable. The majority of men inside the church and out are looking at pornographic images. Because the garden is always open online, is it not? The garden is always open Here's the problem. It's a fake garden. It's virtual. And to go there and spend a lot of time there, you're ruining yourself for the real garden. And it's not just Christian bloggers that are saying it. It's actually, they get the Chicago Tribune, May 16th of this year, 2017, the American Association of Urological, whatever, whatever. They're like, this is having a huge impact on men. If you are watching and if you are a regular watcher, you go there often, you are ruining yourself for the real garden. They're not saying it like that, but they're just saying, listen, it's rewiring your brain. And the way your brain is being rewired, it's a brain thing, not a body thing. And so the pill will fix the body thing, but it won't fix the brain thing. And you are rewiring yourself to be... You're going to only need more of the virtual garden than the real one, and you're ruining yourself for the real one. And it, again, this is doctors, not some mad mom who caught her kid on porn. It's like, it's going to, not that. It's real. You can find an article like that as many as you want. It only hurts that's why the language is so hard. So let's just say you're in there. We can, we can do adultery. We could do two co-workers, both married, spend more time there. You don't see all his stuff that he is at home, and you don't see all the stuff she is at home, and, you th and then so you just hook up, and then there's kids involved, and where does that one go? Nowhere good. Or abuse. I mean, it's so real uncles and nieces. Is that the way it was ever supposed to be? No. And when it does, it is so damaging. So he's saying, it's right here that I bless it. Stay in here. So let's just say then, it's too late. You're already there. What do we do? You run back here. He gives us a few things to do. Let's just say you're out here. 
It's difficult. It's not good. You're going through it. What do you do? I mean, he talks about confession. Confess it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So you come in here and you hear this and you hear those familiar verses about removing the kingdom of heaven and all that and God will judge and all that kind of stuff. And what is it? Just beats you down and beats you down. But if you're out here and you're being beat down, what also does he say? Hey, realize where you are, confess it. And he says, you will find two things. You will find forgiveness and you will also find, this is what I think the biggest word in this whole verse, you will find forgiveness and I will purify. I'm able to purify. All is not lost. It's not unredeemable. You confess it and you can get forgiveness, but also purify you from all unrighteousness. Let's say you're here and you're stuck. Is what Christ accomplished on the cross big enough to cover what you've done? And not just cover like, oh, I forgive you, but big enough for God to say, through Christ, I see you as pure. I'm actually going to make you answer it. Is what Christ did on the cross big enough to cover it and purify it? Yes? So, but then what? Confess it and he says, run from it. 1 Corinthians 6, run back to what I said. Flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify with your, glorify God with your body. Okay, confess it, then get out of there. It's not enough to confess it. Then you confess it again and confess it again and get out of there. Confess and run back to this and lock the garden. Confess it. Run back. And I would say this is a refuge from sex destroying and lock the garden and wait until God says it's okay for the north wind to wake up and for the south wind to blow, then you can have all the spices. Amen. Now, I missed some of you. I'm sure I did. Some of you I hit right in between the eyes. And the garden is now locked. And you knew it should have been when you came in. But some of you are like, you left me out. I didn't mean to. I don't want to. So if you're stuck and you're in crisis and you need ministered to in that way, ask for help. And the way you do that is you just put on a communication card. You're just like, he missed me. I don't get it. I need help. And put a way for us to get a hold of you and put it in the box as you leave and someone will do that. Amen. Lord, thanks for your words on sex. Thanks for the gift of sex. Thanks for the go zone. Thanks for your heavy words outside of it that you would save us from ourselves. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said...